I hope you caught that message this morning. The time to sing, the time to worship is not when everything is perfect. I mean, that's a good time. But it's also when things are challenging. That's what a sacrifice of praise is. It's not just because I, I felt like doing it. We, we sing a lot today about what we believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he is here now. But what is it that you're singing today? Are you singing his praises or are you singing, uh, woe is me? Are you singing, great and mighty is my God? Or are you singing, I can't believe it happened again? Singing to your circumstances. Well, when we lift our voice in praise, God will inhabit the praise of his people. He will also change our perspective. You see, when we, when we confess what we believe, I, I think so many times it, it just seems kind of boring or average to us or just kind of ho-hum because we, we were thinking here, I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I, I believe he died on the cross. I believe he is here. But it is, it's one thing to believe with your head. It's another thing to believe with your heart. I, I, can, I can believe in chairs. Now, I can believe that it exists and it's here. But something totally different, different happens when I believe with all of my weight. When I'm lifting my voice to the Lord, when I'm being praised to Him in that time of challenge, it's not because I believe, it's because everything I have, I am putting my weight on Him. Church, I want us to catch today. This isn't a sermon. If you thought it was a sermon, that's later. We're, we're going to get to that. But we, we can't miss the gift that God wants to give us today in worship. Lift your voice. Sing hallelujah to me. Whether you feel excited or don't feel excited. Whether you've had a good week or not a good week. It doesn't matter. I mean, you matter and I care about what happened in your week. But, but my praise to the Lord should come no matter what. When I want strength for the Lord. Did, did you hear the lyric we sang? It's scripture. Strength will rise when I wait on the Lord. You just wait on God today. You just let your head begin to inform your heart that you are living for a very real God today. Father, I pray that you will uh, not just stir us, but change us. I pray now that you will open our hearts and minds to hear your word in a way that will not just tickle our ears, but in a way that will penetrate our heart and will affect the way we choose to live. It's in your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been in Corinthians the last uh, number of weeks, and it's in a series entitled Growing Deeper. And if you're just catching us in the middle of this series, uh, the highlights have been is Paul is talking to a, a church. It's a particular church in Corinth, and he addresses this letter to those in Corinth and believers everywhere. And we believe that Fort Wayne considers being somewhere, so everywhere counts us, and so it's to us as well. And, and this is to all believers, and it is a letter saying, grow up 
Get into the mature things. Get to the steak and potatoes of your walk with Christ. Put roots down and allow yourself to have depth in Him. Today is, is a pivotal point in Paul's letter. It, it begins to talk about why, not just how, but it begins to talk about the why of this. If you look in your Bibles, I told you uh, 1 Corinthians 13, but, but go back uh, a verse to 12, 31, and, and, and look there and see what it says. Last week, Paul was teaching us about the spiritual gifts and how we all have a place in the body and a call to serve and not just sit back, but to use our spiritual gifts. But in verse 31 of chapter 12, it says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. He's been talking about all the different giftings that the Lord gives to us and how we use that. And, and he now wants to talk about this greater gift. It's something better than these spiritual gifts he's been talking about. Look at 1 Corinthians 13.1. And now I will show you the most excellent way. He says, what I've been telling you is good, but now let me show you the most excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13 is often referred to as the love chapter. It's, it's one of the most well-read passages of Scripture in the Bible. If you would attend ten weddings, probably five out of those ten weddings would quote from this passage about love. And, and there's a reason for that. There's a good definition and explanation of what love is, and, and that's very appropriate. But this is not in the context today of a wedding. This is in the context of Paul saying, grow up! It's in the context of, of what he said last week, and it's time for you to serve and use your gifts. See, Paul noticed that they had some understanding that was skewed about love. It's not that different for us, uh, especially in our English language. We, we look at love, and, and we use that word in, in the phrase, I love this or that, so often that it begins to lose its power. I love ham and green olive pizza. I do. A lot. I love the Denver Broncos. I love hiking. I love salted almonds. I love my wife. How do you get that in? I love my daughter. I love the Lord. I love the color red. And there's, there's all these things that we say love, and, and it's not wrong to say that, but in essence, it's more than just a language problem for us in English. It's not just that we don't have as many words to depict love, and there's some truth to that. We've heard teaching like that before, and that's good and true, but it's more than a language problem. It's, it's begun to seep into the way we deal with real love, the First Corinthians 13 love. I love the color red because it just lights my fire. It's my favorite. It's the best one. You don't have to like red. You have the right to be wrong. That's fine. This is what I like. I love ham and green olive pizza because what it does for my taste buds, it's salty and it's good and it just I can almost taste it right now. It's great. I love a lot of things, but when it's conditional, when it's, it's a different type of love, it seeps into our understanding of how we love the people around us, how we love the Lord and, and so on. In the Greek, we see that there is four words for love, and three of them are used in a positive way in the New Testament. And, and the first, if you're taking notes, is this eros love. Eros is the I love you if. I love you if you do this. I love you if 
you look this way. This is a physical love. It's the love that we, we think of as a Valentine's Day love. It's a romantic love. It's an attraction love. It's this, I have a crush on somebody love. And, and here, this is not what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's important for us to identify this and see that that romantic love focuses on the exterior. The the real love focuses on the interior. A romantic love focuses on what you look like, what you have done. And and real love is, is a commitment to something far different than just what I feel at any given moment. There's also a phileo love. This is I love you because. I love you because. It's a brotherly love. I, I love you because you're my brother. You're my sister. I love you because you're my wife. It's this love that tells us that if I scratch your back, maybe you'll scratch my back. It's easier for me to phileo, to love those who I have some kind of relationship with, because there's a good chance that they may love me back. If I love my mom, she may love me. My mom makes good meals. If I love my wife, she may love me. She makes better meals. You thought I was going to get myself in trouble, didn't you? I'm not that stupid. It's this, it's this brotherly love. I love you because. And, and, and there's a place for this. I'm not saying that to ever use that. That's, that's bad. I'm just saying that's not what Paul's talking about. And he is talking about an agape love. It's the love that says, I love you in spite of. It's this unconditional love. Now, while this is our goal in love, this is depicting the love that God had for us when he gave his son, Jesus Christ. This is the love that we see of God's love, his perfect love. It's this agape love. It's this I love you in spite of type love. Now, Paul is giving this strong instructions to the city of Corinth, the church of Corinth, because they were getting so excited about these spiritual gifts. They were getting so excited about seeing the power of the Holy Spirit move in them that that they were beginning to have a pecking order. A pecking order of of they themselves, of, of who was a better servant and who was more important and who really was the one in charge, but also a, a pecking order of the gifts specifically. Which one is is better? And Paul began to see this problem. He says... Don't do this. In fact, that's where it picks up at chapter 13. Read along with me in your mind as I read aloud. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love Never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These are the words that Paul gave right after a teaching on the, the gifts. And we began to see that he was saying, get out there, use your gifts, serve, put feet to your faith, and let the Holy Spirit be the one who enables those gifts in you. But he says, all of that is nothing if you don't have love. And one of their favorite gifts was this gift of, uh, of tongues, of, uh, of speaking in a, in a language that not everyone could understand, but yet they had some knowledge and, and they could have interpretation of this special gift to speak in a language. And, and we begin to see Paul says, That's, stop it, that's not the most important. And he puts it down. And he says, preaching where everyone can understand is more important. And there's some more teaching on that. We'll do it another time of what that entails. But the the focus of what he is saying here, he is saying, hey, 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 I'm downplaying this. That's not the greatest. Don't look for something, some mysterious thing. He says, even of of preaching or teaching where all can understand, he said, love is better. In fact, if you preach and you don't have love, it's worth nothing. If you serve in the gift of helps and you don't have love, it's worth nothing. If you have discernment and you use your discernment to to give good guidance or counsel, if you don't have love, it's worth nothing. In fact, Paul says you are a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. In my mind, it's like a a, a nagging alarm clock just going, ah, 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 all the time. I can't stand it when I wake up before the alarm clock. I just don't like that, but it gets worse. Is when you wake up before the alarm clock, you get up and you go start to get ready and you forget that the alarm is still ready to go off. And when it goes off, I can't keep getting ready. i got to go turn that off. It's so annoying. It's just blaring out, blaring out. I don't know why that's the noise we wake up to. It's, it's, it's not fun. It's an ugly noise. It just says, everything, stop, look at me. I'm the alarm. Time to get up, time to get up. Time to get up. It's it's a resounding gong. It's an annoying alarm over and over. If we don't have love, it won't do anything. And then he begins to talk about this love. Well, why does he do this? One, it's the importance of real love. He says it is so important to get the love thing right. Not that I love pizza. Not that I love salted almonds. Not that I love the Denver Broncos. It's not I love you if. It's not I love you because. I love you in spite of. It's the agape love. It's the I love unconditional. Not because of what you do for me, but because of my commitment to you. Until we get that right, all the other gifts are worth nothing. God knew it would be so easy to fall prey to a love of something mysterious and powerful that we would miss the heart of this. The gift that gives the greatest motives is the gift of of love. One author put it this way, love is more important than gifts. Love is more important than gifts. If love is not in, in the equation, the sum equals nothing. 
So those of you who are math people, it doesn't matter how weighty or how much you add up the, the, the properties of how powerful this gift is or, or how much you can offer God or how much he wants to use you and all these things, if love is not in the equation, it will equal zero every time. It's so far superior to any of the other gift teachings that he did last week. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By all this, men will know that you are mine by the way you love each other. Who is it around you that would accuse you of being a Christian? Not because of your bumper sticker, not because of your t-shirt, not because of the, the places that you go, but by your love. Who would say, man, you've been with Jesus. Well, how do you know? You love so much like him. I think it's about time we start getting accused of loving the way Jesus loved. It's not just a PR campaign. It's not just to kind of uh, move through society with more grease on the wheel kind of a thing. No, no. It, it is the power of God in us will cause us to love the way he has loved us. If we don't love the way he has loved us, it causes all kinds of problems we'll talk about in a minute. As this chapter progresses, Paul goes on to share the attributes of real love. And, and here's just a few of them. Uh, these are some attributes. He gives some examples. Uh, one, we see here, real love is thoughtful. Real love is thoughtful. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. You see, a superficial love has me at the center. If, if I'm at the center, my love gets in a hurry. And, and, and I want to love you on my time. So get on my schedule and hurry up and and don't make me late for what I want to do. This is not agape love. Agape love is is thoughtful. It's focused on you. And and it's not just a a, a brush, a a passing thing. It's fine to say some pleasantries. But real love that he's talking about here is its intentional thought. I came across a story this week I want to share with you of somebody who was thoughtful and intentional. A construction crew was building a high-rise across the street from a hospital. One day while working, four of the construction men were on the third floor, and they looked over and saw a little girl watching them out of the third-story window of the hospital across the street. She waved, and they waved back. The next morning when they came to work, the little girl held a handwritten sign in the window, and it said, My name is Lisa. What are your names? The next morning, one of the construction workers brought a piece of poster board and a magic marker from home, and and the construction guys wrote on it, Hi, Lisa. Our names are Bill, Terry, Bob, and Brad. How old are you? The next morning, they came to work and found Lisa waiting for them in the window with the message written, I'm seven. How old are all of you guys? (laughs) For several days, these construction workers looked forward to the notes from Lisa, and on the fifth morning... The window was empty. There was no Lisa. There was no message. At break time, one of the guys went to the telephone and called the hospital and asked for the nurse's station on the third floor. He asked if they could tell him anything about the seven-year-old girl named Lisa who was on the third floor who had been exchanging messages with them. One of the nurses who was familiar with this exchange said that Lisa had taken a turn for the worse and had been transferred to intensive care. During lunchtime, the men called the florist and had flowers sent to the hospital and brought to Lisa's room. They had a card wishing her well. They'd never met her. They didn't know her, but they wanted to 
wish her well. The next morning when the men arrived at work, they found a message in that third story window. And the message said this, Lisa has passed away. Thanks for taking time to care. Real love, when we hear a story like this, it it reminds us that it takes time out of our day. It would have been so easy for construction workers to just see a kid waving and just wave and go about their day. To ignore them. But they were thoughtful and, and they took some time to give some love. But I, I confess this morning, as much as that tugs at our heart, I think it's a whole lot easy, easier for us to love the Lisas that are strangers across the way and do something nice than it is to love an overbearing boss. Than it is to really love unconditionally a spouse that nags. To love a teenager who rebels. To love a family member who will not forgive. God is calling us to love not only those from a distance, but those who are right up in our face. God's calling some of us to love with a strong love somebody in this room. Here's another way. Real love is unselfish. Verse 4 and 5 says this. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It's this unselfish love. Envy focuses on, I wish I had what you had. That's not focusing on you. That's not love. And when we begin to see that boasting is, is when I am more excited about the praise that I get for loving you than actually loving you. And so that's not love. And and the genuine, sincere love is not rude because if I'm focused on you, I, I wouldn't want to offend you unnecessarily. Real love doesn't get angered easily. Have you ever seen uh, a couple who's been married for 40 or 50 years and they can have kind of a a disagreement or an argument per se or a little spat and and about five minutes later they're sitting there holding hands smiling at each other? How in the world can this be? They they can have a, a real disagreement. They were upset about something and five minutes later they're holding hands and they're smiling. Well, I believe it's because they can't remember what they said five minutes ago. I have no idea. No, that's not it at all. Those with the mature love have learned long ago that it's not worth it to bicker over the things that don't matter as much. You can have an opinion, and to love doesn't mean you don't express your thought, but but those who've gone before us and have had a love of God's love in their marriage for 40 and 50 and 60 years, you can just see in them it's a commitment to each other. Well, just because she's wrong doesn't mean I'm not going to love her. Just because he never gets it right doesn't mean I'm not going to hold his hand and love him back. I'm committed to them. Often we can find a newlywed couple who hasn't learned this skill yet. And and after they've had some kind of tiff or argument, five minutes later, it's not that they're not holding hands. They're not smiling at each other. They're not talking to each other. They're not in the same room. Their love hasn't matured to develop to say, you know what? I'm committed to you. I don't love you. I don't show affection to you based off of what you do for me. I love you if. I love you because. I love you in spite of. This is what God is calling us to do when we see this chapter on love. Real love, it's positive. Verse 5 through 7, it keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This is a good place for us to check our love meter. Not how infatuated you are with someone or something. How are you on keeping record of wrongs? Some of us have a physical record of wrongs written down somewhere. Others are more 
advanced than that. We don't need paper. We don't need an electronic file. We've got it right here. And whenever I lock eyes with somebody, some people would say, I know exactly what you have done to me when you have done it, and I am not going to forget it. Love says, I'm not going to waste real estate in my mind with keeping a record of wrong. I'm going to always assume the best. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. Well, Pastor Brady, what if someone has a habitual problem over and over again, and, and that's not loving to, to not talk to them? You're right. Love is tender at times, but love is also tough. And, and there's a time to have confrontation, and that's important. But friends, that's not an error for most of us. Most of us, the error is we're just keeping a record for ourselves. Ask yourself, is this record going to bless that person, or is it to be used against them? And I'll tell you where the love meter is on that. Love is, it's positive. It believes the best about somebody else. Next category is, is love is, it's enduring. Love never fails. But there, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. You see, Paul is telling us that even our faith and hope and these other things in heaven... They will not be the primary need. Faith is being sure of what I hope for, certain of what I do not see. But when I'm standing face to face to Jesus, it's not as much of my faith that takes the forefront. He's right there. I can, I can see him. It is my love for him and the love he has for me that takes the lead. I hope for something that, that I, I haven't received yet. I don't hope to have a wife that is wonderful. I don't hope to have a daughter that is amazing because I already have that. But I love them. Love takes the forefront. Love will not expire. You want to be good at something in the Christian walk? Get good at loving. Focus on loving. Paul says, hey, hey, you've been given gifts. Use the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't have love, it doesn't work. At this point, I think we begin to think, well, it's time for me to grin and bear it and figure out how to express love. That's the next thing here. How can... I have the real expression of love. And your outline there, if you're taking notes, is a bunch of blank space. And, and I want you over the next number of minutes just to, to jot down. Maybe the Lord is, is putting his thumb in your back on a particular area where you can be patient, where you can be kind, where you can be forgiving. Where, where you can begin to believe the best in somebody. And we need to write those down. But as we begin to look at this, you know, we've, we've been taught before that you can take God's word and a, and a good way to do this is, is take the word love out and put your name in. And just begin to see what seems silly when you read it. Brady is patient. Brady is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. If you or someone around you you're reading begins to snicker and chuckle and say, that doesn't work, then we know this may be an area where the Lord is wanting to work in our life. But if we're really honest, if we put our name in there, none of us, in and of ourselves, can love like this. Always is a lot. Always trusting. Always believing the best. That doesn't leave much room for error. I don't know about you, I, I have error in my life. And, and I need God's love in and through me. See, the crux of this is, Paul is wanting us to catch that love, real love, agape love, is not something we come up in our own strength. Agape love is a response for us of the way we have been loved unconditionally in Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture. It's in 1 John chapter 4. 
verse 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another. Love our, excuse me, let us love one another, for our love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This doesn't leave a lot of room for error. If you and I are not characterized by the love of God, this verse is telling us that maybe we're not in God. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation, but what I'm trying to say is we need God's love to be evident in us. If we are God's, we will love like him. If we are his possession, if we are his kids, we will love the way he loves. Verse 9, this is how God's love should be shown among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loves us, we also ought to love one another. How well are you doing on loving the people around you unconditionally? I'm going to ask that Pastor Edgar comes. And in a moment, we're going to partake of communion together. I can't think of a better way for us to wrap up a teaching on agape, real love, and the challenge for us to love those around us than by focusing on Jesus' love for us. Because you see that God doesn't want to just give us one more feather in our cap. Grow up and learn one more thing about me. No, He wants to transform us and change us, and it should have an effect on every person in this room. What would it look like if we began to love the people just start in this room with an unconditional love? I don't love you if you do what I want. I don't love you because you sit behind me. I love you in spite of anything else. I love you because I've committed to love you. Pastor Brady, I don't know if I can do that. Well, friend, I'm confident you can't. I'm confident that I can't. But when we talk about living a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit, where His love is shed abroad in our heart, that's just a fancy way for saying His love in us oozes out of every pore, and it changes the way I see you, it changes the way I act towards you, it changes the way I see my neighbors and everyone else. Paul says, all these gifts, you need to use them. But if you don't have love, it's just you. Carrie, why don't you come up? And uh, as the servers come right now, they're going to distribute the communion elements. You guys, you go ahead, and gals, you go ahead and do that. And as the fruit of the vine and the wafer is passed out, you just hang on to those. I'll give some instructions. We'll partake of that together in a moment. And as this is being passed out, I want you to listen to this love letter that is written directly to you. It's from Jesus. It's not a work of fiction. It's a summary of Scripture. But this is for you today from Jesus. Now, some of you, you may want to get a copy of this love letter written to you. It's up here at the front. And after the gathering, you can come grab a copy of this. But just listen and let it soak in on how Jesus feels about you. Listen. Child of mine, I love you very much. You're so precious and valuable to me. I think about you all the time and have wonderful plans for you. The thoughts and plans that I have for you are to give you a future and a hope that is beyond what you could ask for or even think. You are my child, 
You belong to me for I not only created you, I also redeemed you when I died on the cross for all the sins of the world. Through my perfect life and death, you have been reconciled to God. I know who you are and what you have done. God is not counting your sin against you. You are free to come just as you are. I will tell you the same thing I told a woman who had committed adultery. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You are free to experience my unconditional love for you and leave your life of sin and pain. When you call to me, I will answer. When you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. For I am anxious to be found by you. When you give me permission, I will make my home with you. I love you with an everlasting love. Nothing can change that. When you hurt, I hurt with you. Just as a parent suffers when their child is in pain. All human pain and suffering is ultimately a result of Adam and Eve's choice to learn about evil. They would have died that day if I had not chosen to be the savior of the world. When I was on this earth, my mission was to share good news with the poor, heal the brokenhearted, and free people enslaved by sin. Satan has told many lies about me in order to lead people to reject me. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy as many as he can. I came so everyone might experience the abundant life that was originally intended for the human race. I invite you to come to me just as you are. I will accept you with all of your hurt and failure. In fact, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their brokenness and need for me as their savior. You will discover new meaning and purpose in life as you share your story with others and invite them to experience my love and be reconciled to God. I will never force you to receive the truth or the blessings I am anxious to give you. If you don't want them, I'll allow you to pursue the pathway you choose, even though it will bring you much pain and heartache. I will be waiting for you to call out for help. When you do, I will reassure you. Through my forgiveness and help, you experience healing from the brokenness caused by your sinful choices. If you persistently choose to cling on to sin, you will eventually hate me and not want to come into my presence. In fact, you will come to the point that you would rather die than live with me forever. Out of love, I will honor your choice. And you will perish in the end. But if you want me to be your savior, you will not be disappointed. You will experience love that casts out fear, peace that passes understanding, and joy that no one can take away. When you are tempted to satisfy your cravings in unhealthy ways, I will enable you to have self-control and remind you that the blessings I give you will truly satisfy I will enable you to be patient with others as they are growing and will transform you so that kindness, compassion, and forgiveness flow from within. When you are mistreated, misunderstood, or taken advantage of, your natural desire will be to seek revenge. Choose instead to allow me to discipline those who have hurt you. While doing so, I will also seek to reach their hearts. In the long run, the best way to relate to your enemies is to love them. 
they will either humble their hearts and become your friend or try to avoid you out of their own shame. When I was mistreated and nailed to the cross, I prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. After I was resurrected, many confessed their sins, repented, and became my disciples. Don't be afraid to speak the truth, but always do it in love. I know all this will take a miracle, for you are helpless to do anything good apart from me. Your part is to choose love. The Holy Spirit will work the miracle in you. As you experience my unconditional love, you will grow into maturity and learn to love others as I have loved you. People will be drawn to me by the light that shines out of your life. Soon the day will come when I will return to earth and take to heaven all who want to live with me forever. All those who have fallen asleep trusting in me will be resurrected with brand new bodies. I long for the day when we will be together again in person. After all sin is destroyed and the earth is cleansed by fire, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. All tears will be wiped away and there will be no more pain, crying, sorrow, or death. Until then, trust me, I will take care of you. For I love you with all my heart, with love always, your creator, savior, and friend, Jesus. In your outline, there's that space where you could write in some ways that you could begin to love people around you. And there's a line at the bottom of that. I want to challenge you later this afternoon or sometime this week as you may add to that list of the things the Holy Spirit is prompting you on ways you can love people around you, how you can be patient, how you can be kind, how you can not have pride. And in that line, at a future prayer time with you and the Lord, I'd encourage you to sign that. I don't want you to turn that sheet into me. I don't need to see it. It's a covenant between you and God saying, God, with your help, with your love in me, I want to show your love to people around me. I believe you'll be blessed if you choose to take that exercise. Before we dismiss and go today, we have an opportunity as a body of believers, as a family, to do some family business. And uh, I'm excited at times like this to celebrate the structure that God has given us.